everybody, I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars now for the past year and a half, and we have some amazing guests. And so I'm just going to keep going. We will take a break in September because I will be away, um, but we're going to continue as long as we have guests and people who want to listen. So thank you for tuning in. Today, my guest is Debbie Metcalf, and she is from, uh, I just forgot. Horse, Stolen, Stolen Horses International. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Stolen Horses International. I'm going to let Debbie introduce herself because she'll do a much better job than I will. So welcome, Debbie. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you. But I was really enjoying your introduction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm from Shelby, North Carolina, and it's Stolen Horse International. Sorry. <laughs> so, what, what else do you want to know? So, um, Debbie, have you been a horsewoman all your life? No, I was one of those kids that grew up always wanting a horse. Um, wow. You know, the ones that went to the Christmas parades and there was only two things we were interested in, Santa Claus and the horses. Yeah. And then when I became a grown up, I got my first horse in 1986. And so from then I've been a horse person. Awesome. And so what kind of horses do you have? Racking horses now. Uh, we've had very, you know, various horses, but I've got a horse in the pasture that's 39 and another one that's 29. Wow. Be our last horses. And the one you see behind me with my husband on him is the one that was stolen from us. So, so how did you get started with this uh, whole stolen horse adventure? I'm going to call it because I think it, I think there's quite a story here. Ooh, there's a whole book here actually, yeah. but in short. You know, we were just an average family. Uh, our, we were trail riders. You know, we went off every weekend and went to different places to have adventures. And Idaho was my husband's horse. We'd had her for nine years. We bought her when she was three. And she was a horse only a daddy could love. I begged him not to buy that horse. She was crazy. But over a period of years, and we didn't have internet then, remember? And we didn't know about trainers and all these other things that were out there. And he pretty much trained that horse to be a wonderful horse that we all loved over time. And then one day we looked out in the pasture and she was our beacon because as you can see, she's gray. And wherever she was, the rest of the horses would be. And she wasn't there. So we thought she got out. And we had neighbors come help us look for her. We called law enforcement just to see if somebody had reported a loose horse, uh, animal control, nobody had. But then the dispatcher asked me if, if she was stolen. And I said, what? <laughs> stolen? He steals horses. But I had walked down the dirt road right beside our pasture and walked over hoof prints in the dirt. And I'd seen them, but they went to nowhere. They just stopped. And so I followed those footprints back to the fence and I could see where they cut the fence. And that was a very rude awakening for us. I mean, who was still in horses back in 1997? Wow. Did you ever find her? We did. Um, and back in 97, we issued the first stolen horse alert ever in the world on the internet. And it was for Idaho. And we called them Idaho alerts back then. But over time, people got them confused with the state and a potato. And okay. we, were, we were having to say, we're not the state, we're not the potato, it's the horse's name. So eventually, we should, um, with one of our changes to our website, we changed it to Net Posse Alerts. 
but we did find her. Uh, a lot of people came together to help us when we finally did get on the internet because we had to do this the old way. Does anybody remember when you had to pay for long distance? Yes, calls? I, I do. And you had to lick stamps, stuff envelopes. I mean, we did this for a few months, old school. And you know how much flyers were back then? Color flyers, $3 a piece. Wow. We printed hundreds of them and sent them out. And then one day a, a guy here in Shelby said, Debbie, come over to my house. I want to show you something. And he showed me how to get on the internet, uh, hooked me up with an AOL account, which I still have. It hosts millions of our emails in there. And the rest is history. I went on the internet. I quite literally sat here day and night and found any website I could find that had was associated with the horse. And I sent them an email about Idaho. So this organization really developed itself. I had no plan to do this. And right. all I wanted was my horse back. <laughs> and yeah. we started finding other people's horses through our little group of volunteers working together. And then 51 weeks later, we brought her home. Wow. So we have to unpack this a little bit. Back in 1997, you, I, I assume that Shelby is not a big town in North Carolina. No. Right. Uh -uh. I mean, my I mean we have a lot of stoplights. <laughs> yeah. um, my town's 130 people, so I know what it's like living in a small town. Um, well, I actually live in the community of Metcalf, which is named after my husband's family. Oh, wow. Farmers here for so long. So, so it's a, I would assume that, that then it's a fairly close-knit uh, community that you live in and you would have gone to them first and said has anybody seen my horse I did we actually had people out on horseback looking for and I, nobody could find her because you know she wasn't there right we just didn't know it so so essentially someone came in the dead of night cut your fence took your horse and then took it away not the dead of night uh around six o'clock on a Friday afternoon See, most people don't know when your horse is stolen, somebody usually knows something about you before they steal the horse. And in our case, I can't really say who that person was. I know who it was, but I can't prove that part. It's just a theory. Um, but we went to a rodeo on Friday night. We did this every year because our horses were at the county fair. And anybody that knew us knew that we were going to be there on Friday night. And we pulled out of our driveway and the person that I'm talking about, I saw him pick up his phone. He was sitting out on the, his front porch watching us. It was a neighbor then. Uh, and we live in a nice neighborhood, so you wouldn't expect anybody to be involved in this. But I do remember seeing him pick up his phone and we left. And then one of our neighbors saw a trailer taking her by about 20 minutes later. So somebody was sitting, waiting for us to leave so they could whip in, cut the fence and pick her up. Now it's also important to note that our pasture was baited and our horses in that pasture were standing in a, past, in a place in the pasture they wouldn't stand before. And our property's cut in half by a dirt road. And we have 25 acres on this side, 25 on that. And every day they were standing down at the bottom of that pasture. And I even made the comment, what is that fool horse standing here with her head over the fence for? So we think that our neighbor 
was baiting the pasture for the person who actually stole the horse, who we caught uh, uh, in six months. We didn't know him. He lived 50 miles away. But there, there was a, a drug connection in the background. So when you put everything together, we think that the person that stole our horse was actually coming into our neighborhood to meet the other guy to get his drugs. And that's how he saw our horse. Now the rest of it, we know for sure. It's all a part of court documents, but. So let's get to that in a minute. I, I wanna ask this question. Are most horses that are stolen, stolen by someone that you know or is in association with someone you know? I can't say exactly, but I would say most likely, and even law enforcement told us that, to really look at our friends closely because usually when, when things are stolen, somebody has a connection to you. Okay, so that, that you know, it's so interesting because it, the person that we often least expect is the ones that we should suspect, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's You'd be hard. Shocked. <laughs> You'd be shocked about that. Yeah, that's hard to accept, but it's, you know, so often what you realize is what seems to be a random event isn't. What seems to be just, you know, a drive-by thing isn't. It's some connection to someone, either they were in the wrong place or they were in the right place. Um, but there, it, there will be some connection back to you. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There are random thefts. But what's the percentages? With what we deal with, uh, they're on the smaller percent. Right. And, you know, we deal with civil thefts, too. And those are always people, you know. So what's a civil theft? Okay. When you see people posting on Facebook and they say stolen horse, stolen horse, stolen horse, we look at that real seriously. And we, when we send out our alerts, we make them clarify, you know, the details, because if you know the person that took your horse or you had some kind of agreement with that person, or your horse was boarded on somebody's place and you have a dispute with them, those are civil matters. And we deem them civil thefts because they're planned. Most often those are planned outright from the beginning. There are scam artists out there that will befriend you. And when they get a chance, take your horses right away. And people go, well, why would anybody go to that kind of trouble? Well, the people that do this, they do it for a living. And, you know, we know quite a few of them that, you know, our most famous one, of course, is the vet student that was involved in taking horses from people who had dread diseases or huge disasters happen in their life. And they couldn't keep their horses anymore financially. So they look for real homes for their horses. Not, but you know, they could have all sold them at somewhere, right. but they really just wanted homes. And that was her market. She looked for those people to hit. And we have 63 of those horses listed with us. There's a lot more. Uh, because of our organization, we helped get the affidavits and everything together for the victims that we dealt with. Uh, and they also, we also worked with an attorney in Georgia and she has still 14 counts waiting for her in Alabama. She was convicted of one case in North Carolina, dismissed by another one, but there should be cases in at least eight states that we know of. But Wow. You know, this is opening a, a huge can of, of underbelly worms. 
Oh, we got lots of underbelly here. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so let's just go back a little bit. So Idaho was stolen. You, you had to do it by paper back then you put out posters and everything. And then someone hooked you up. Cause like I got my first computer in 91, you know, computers back in the late nineties were not like they are today, you know, uh, and so you found the internet and you started searching on the internet for all kinds of horse organizations. And so were, were you still looking for Idaho at this point? For 51 weeks, I looked for. And so uh, and you I started using the internet. Uh, excuse me? You started using the internet to look for her as well. Yes, uh, a couple of months in. And that really opened the doors to a lot of things. But, you know, we didn't have social media back then. Right. We had message boards and Yahoo groups. Right. I, I remember all of that. I used to have an AOL account and I used to try and call back to the States from Europe with AOL dial-up. So I totally get Oh, that. I still hear that. Now yeah. that you say it, I can still hear that. But anyway, so so what was the turning point in, in Idaho's case? What what did you do or where did you get information that finally helped you find well, her? Well, six months into, or, or a little less, we had a kill buyer call us and he told us exactly how our horse was stolen and where it went, who did it. We had everything laid out for us. So, you know, what we did was we always walked our tips into law enforcement. We took them right in and said, put this in our file because they really weren't doing much. Right. And I said, put this in our file just in case it's useful later. And we told them exactly what this guy told us. And they said, well, that's in another county. It was in a border county. They didn't do anything, nothing. But because we had that tip, we were able to pinpoint some other areas uh, to hit. We went to a horse sales ourselves. And we put flyers on every vehicle in the parking lot. And by then we had a printable flyer that other people could print from a one page website we had that somebody made for me. I didn't know how then, but I learned eventually. Uh, but, you know, we had flyers going out everywhere. That flyer is very important and it's often overlooked, especially with social media today. But that flyer actually got put on our thieves truck several times. And that was found out after he was arrested. But the real break came uh, Labor Day weekend of September 98. So we're going on almost a year of her being gone. And Harold and I just, it, I was laying in bed one morning and it was like somebody went, wake up and shook me. I actually felt it. And I woke up and I had this desire to go somewhere. And I said, you, and I looked at Harold, I said, do you want to go somewhere? He said, yeah. I said, okay, let's go. We had no idea where we were going. We were just going. Had grandma keep the kids and we took off. And when we got to the end of the driveway, he said, which direction, right or left? And that's how we did the whole trip. Wow. We ended up in that trip exactly where she was sold the first time in Etowah, Tennessee. Well, Cleveland, Tennessee. We went out to that cell barn and we put our flyers all over the place. Uh, then we went on to Chattanooga, came back, got lost. I had one flyer left and I put that one flyer in a convenience store in the middle of nowhere. And a week later, someone got lost, went into that same convenience store and saw our flyer and gave me a call. 
wow. <laughs> yeah. this, is, I, I'm, this is such a cool story. I mean, it's real life, but it's so cool that, that you had this intuitive moment to go and drive to where you didn't even know you were going to put up posters and put up the one that someone called on. How amazing. I so, mean, it's, this is very condensed. There's lots more. Doo, 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 I know, but it's giving me chills. I get, you know, when I get the goosebumps, when people tell me the stuff that I really know is true. Well, and, that flyer, the person that called me was the organist for the National Racking Horse Association. As it turns out, our horse had been shown, was being shown in their shows and she had a world-class reserve title. And when I got that tip, that came in from her. She did get the call back the next day and she gave us the number to the people that had her. And, but the tip was she's a show horse and she, her spots on the left. And I went, my horse is not a show horse. My horse is a trail horse and her spot is on the right. So that can't be right. And the reason I didn't jump on it's cause we had gone out and seen a lot of horses and had a lot of tips and they were all disappointments. And I know what it's like when our victims get a tip and they get their hopes up yeah. and then they're just squashed. And that had happened so many times to me that year, I just discounted that. But you remember this network I told you was forming? I had a few key people that, and I sent out an email and a lady named Vivian wrote me back immediately and said, Debbie, People get the rights and lefts mixed up. Call these people right now. If it had not been for her, I may have never done it. And I called them and it was our horse, but they still didn't want to give it back to us. It was, it was, a, it was an ordeal to get her back. So but you said that she was sold the first time. How many, how many hands did she go through from the time she was stolen from your place? In six months, five. Wow. So, so the person stole her and then sold her to someone. He sold her to a horse auction. And then the horse auction obviously sold her to a customer. Mm, no, the horse auction. I ended up talking to the owner of it and he told me, you know, I hate a horse thief. Uh, if I see this horse, I'll let you know. But the person that stole our horse was his part-time auctioneer. So he just called our thief up and told him to come back and get the horse and bring him his money back. He didn't let me know he had my horse in his hands right then. This could have been over in three days. Wow. And it wasn't, it's dead because he did that. And of course he's never been charged. Can't charge him. Um, the thief was charged and convicted, but so the thief took the horse back and then what? Then he, he kept the horse at his house for a while, kept her there. And then he'd go out with her and come back because, you know, back then the internet was new. And so everybody was jumping on it. And evidently we had all these auctions covered. So he couldn't sell her. And eventually he sent her to a racking horse commissioner in Tennessee. And that's where she was. And the people that bought her legally bought her from him but he was part of the he was part of the network too sure and then okay so that's one two th three or four owners at that point after you there was a there was another guy in there 
from another state. I'd have to go back and look at the timeline, but I know there was five different owners that we could so by the time right. the fifth owner gets your horse, they're thinking they're buying a horse that's free and clear. Yes, they did. And then you have to lie to about her horse, of course, you know, where she came from and everything. And so then you had to convince them to give her back to you. No law enforcement did. We, oh. um, I talked to her on the phone and she just would not she would not let me come see the horse. It didn't have to be handled with law enforcement. I knew it was her. I had no doubt about it because she'd already been identified. But this lady's daughter was riding the horse and loved her. And she didn't want to disappoint her daughter, of course. So she was doing everything she could to hang on to her. She even offered to buy her from us. But folks, this was our baby. She'd been with us since she was three years old and she was 12 the idea that somebody thinks that they can just pay for a horse and take it when you're that emotionally invested number one no <laughs> i'm not gonna do that there's no amount of money in the world that can make me part without a hoe but number two if you think money is what tops it's the value of a horse then i don't want you to have my horse anyway so we we had to uh once we got the tip and I tell people that I was working with Don Moody. I'm going to give you a shout out because I'm forever, ever in debt to this man. He was working as a livestock in, uh, investigator for the state of Tennessee at the time. And I remember when I called him and told him my story, he kind of did like most people and kind of tried to put me off. But, you know, if you could crawl through the phone and then latch onto somebody's leg so they can't kick you off. That was me. <laughs> I was not giving up. And when we got that tip in, I called Don, he gave me his patron number and he came down from Tennessee to Etowah, Tennessee to take care of this for me. And as it turns out, his informant was the racking horse commissioner that sold her. He was part of the network. And it was really cool because when I was talking to Don on the phone, and he said, well, I'm going to meet with my informant. And he said, oh, he's in, he's coming in now. And about the time he was, the guy was coming in, I told him who the racking horse commissioner was that had her. And he went, really? He's pulling in right now in front of me. I'll take care of this. And wow. he did. It's, it's, it's like something you'd see in a movie, actually. And once he, um, they went and talked to the people and the people would not tell them where the horse was. It was, she was at a training barn and they would not give up her location. So they told her to come in the next morning. They called us and I got a call at 4.30 on an afternoon. And I called, my husband and I quite literally walked out at 4.45. I had a brush, a toothbrush and a pair of underwear. That's, that's it. <laughs> and we had, and they said, grandma, I'll take care of the kids and we're gone. And we took off. We didn't take a trailer. Uh, Cause the little girl, well, I had spent the day talking to the people that had the horse and I'll never forget Anna saying, Miss Metcalf, Lucy is your horse, Idaho. Wow. Her mom wouldn't say it, but the child did. Mm -hmm. And um, I've never forgotten that really. <laughs> You know, it's heartbreaking because I have had a daughter the same age, basically. And, but we took off. I was going to let 
them, you know, say goodbye to Idaho. But when we got there that night, it was a five and a half hour drive from here. And when I got there that night, they told us, I told them we were going to leave the horse there. And we were told, absolutely not. The horse is coming out. And so the next morning we were supposed to meet at the sheriff's office and they were supposed to come in and bring Idaho and they didn't. But so there was some stuff that went on there. Um, but we finally got our horse identified because in North Carolina, North Carolina is a one party state so I can record conversations. I had recorded every conversation with the lady from the day before. And in that conversation, she did say, you'd have to live in a glass bubble to not know this is your horse. Wow. But the day that we tried to claim her, she was saying it wasn't and had changed her mind, but it didn't work. And we ended up going out to the middle of nowhere with deputies. I remember they took us to go eat at McDonald's. They had lunch. Now we've been looking for a horse for 51 weeks and they want to go eat. <laughs> Me and my husband are sitting there going, doo, 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 doo. Yeah. okay, can we go now? Can we go now? I'm not hungry. I just want to go see my horse. And they took us to a parking lot in the middle of nowhere where in Etowah, Tennessee, and we're standing there looking around going, why are we here? And they said, well, right down that road over there, that long driveway goes to a training barn and that's where your horse is. And since we didn't take a trailer, we had to wait for a trailer to arrive and it took forever and ever. So they decided to go down with the Bronco and get her because there was some disturbance going on down there and we'll just leave it at that. But we heard them a little bit later and we heard her gate going. Chick, 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 chick. We couldn't see her, but then she came out of the trees. And when she came out of the trees, you know, where we could see her across the road, her head was down, her tail was down. You know, she looked like a quarter horse walking along. And as you can see from behind us, her head is not down. Her head is always up. Her tail is up like this. She was a very proud horse. And when we saw her, we knew it was her. And I looked at Harold and I said, that's her, but it's not her. Where's Idaho? And he, I said, whistle. And my husband had whistled the same whistle for nine years for her to come up. She adored my husband. And I, and I, I don't know if this should be said anymore, but I'm going to say it anyway. She always joked that that horse was an extension of his crotch. They were so attached to each other. Seriously. He was the only one that rode her. She was spitfire and vinegar and nobody wanted to ride her but him. But when he whistled, that head came up, that tail came up and she went and looked right at him across the road. And then she started passing that Bronco to get to him. And luckily there was no traffic coming and they sped up and kept up with her. And we put our hands on her <clears throat> the first time standing in a church parking lot in the middle of nowhere, a little white country church. Now, why is that significant? Because I don't know if people have their own beliefs, but every night when I said my prayers, I just said, you know, I'll make you a deal, God. <laughs> you bring my horse back and I'll do everything I can to help people in the future because I was already doing that. But I, I had no idea what that meant. 
what it was going to mean. And so when you get your horse back after 51 weeks and you put your hand on her the first time in a church parking lot, I think that's pretty clear. And I cannot repeat what I said next because <laughs> I knew it was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> I guess I got a promise to keep. <laughs> it's not something you'd want to say in a church parking lot, but I did. And Idaho knew us right away. Well, that was my question is, did she recognize you? But clearly she recognized you. Oh, yes, she did. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Even the law enforcement officers that were out there, and there were quite a few, were crying. Everybody was. And story. another part of the story was when I was in the sheriff's office, I sent out two emails, just two, one to a lady in uh, Missouri and one to a lady in Pennsylvania. They had been the two that helped to meet the most. And while we were waiting for Idaho to come out, the lieutenant said, Miss Metcalf, what did you do when you were in her office? And I went, dang, everywhere I go, I get in trouble, don't I? <laughs> And I said, the only thing I did was send out two emails. And he said, well, I want you to know we are getting phone, phone calls from all over the country. We are, you have just about closed out our emails. I said, well, I told them where I was. Wow. And I told him I didn't bring a trailer, duh. And he said, you've got a ride home. People want to help you get your horse home. And they want to know if this is her. So it was at that moment that I really realized the power of the internet and how it could be positive yeah. and work for people like us. <clears throat> so, and we did, we get, we got ponied home. Uh, one person came uh, from Tennessee, took Idaho to just outside of Asheville, Tennessee, where our, a friend of ours from home came and got her from there. And I thought we followed her tail all the way home. And I was home before she was because I rode home with his wife. And we could hear Idaho a quarter of a mile away whinnying. And our horses that were home were standing at alert going, she's back, she's back, she's coming back. I mean, it was remarkable to watch. Everybody should see this once. And when we got her, when we were transferring her before, she was very calm. But when she came off that trailer that night, she was trying to back out before the door was open. And when she backed out and I had the court, the rope, I threw it at my husband and said, not me anymore. She's your horse. <laughs> she was prancing and dancing and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Wow. And that's why I do what I do it's just there aren't words to to really express what that that whole journey must have been like for you the the unknowing the searching and and you know bringing her home it just sounds like an amazing uh experience and it's just uh it's really remarkable it took such perseverance to keep looking for her and and I, I mean, I, so I, are you trained in detective work or prior to this? <laughs> no, I was a school teacher for a while and then I ran my own insurance agency, which I quit. Uh, and in 2005, I started doing this full time. 
still do. Um, we have a big reach, but we don't have a lot of money. So I've never taken any salary for what I do and neither has my husband. Uh, we just wouldn't be here if we got paid, but I don't know. I just feel like, you know, I didn't decide to do this. It was decided for me. Right. Uh, I love it when we bring a horse home. I, I know that a lot of our volunteers are victims. So when somebody is having a bad time, we can put somebody with them that knows what they're feeling. When the rest of the world that's never had this happen, they have no idea how devastating. They can imagine what it might be like. They can have empathy and sympathy, but that's as far as it goes. When you live it, it's on a whole different level whole different level. You know, I, I so relate to that because, you know, I, to, I told you a little bit about my accident in 1984 and I can deal with someone who has broken every bone, you know, whatever. I'm great, but I can't deal, you know, I can't relate to anybody who's had a baby. I've never had a baby. Right. So, you know, we, the people who can best relate to an experience is someone who's had that experience because you, you've lived it, you know it, you understand it and you understand the emotional roller coaster that that is. Um, and it's so difficult for someone who has never experienced a particular thing that's traumatic. They, they can't relate to that. And that was, that's one of the things that I know from my experience. So you need people to, who have lived it to support those who are going through it to have, have the real understanding of what that person's going through. And I totally, totally agree with you on that. Yeah. And we do, we've worked with over 6,000 cases. That was my next question. So, okay. So this was 1998 when you finally got Idaho home, but you had by that point already been on the internet and started what is to become net posse, right? Mm -hmm. Well, so it started itself. So right. I right. didn't know I had started it then. I thought, well, okay, I'm just going to pay it forward. And because so many people helped me, I'm going to pay it forward and help them. And the people that were already there, we just kind of kept going and going and it got bigger and bigger. And so finally, uh, my accountant actually is the one that forced me to do something. He said, because I was going around and speaking and everything was coming out of our pocket. And he said, you've spent $20,000 of your own money over the last few years. You've got to do with this, something with this, or you're going to be broke. And because we're not rich, no. we're not rich people. And so that's when I said, okay, he said, turn it into a business. And he wanted me to do a for-profit, but I said, let's do a nonprofit because people help people out of kindness. And I hope that that's the way this will, that that's the way they did it for me. And I hope that's the way they'll do it for other people. And when victims come here and they're helped, maybe they'll pay it forward and do the same. So that was our philosophy. So when did you turn it into a nonprofit? Uh, 2003. So, um, we were incorporated in North Carolina in 2003. And then at the beginning of 2004, we got our IRS 501c3 status. And so you're doing this full time now? I've been doing this full time since 2005. And you're anywhere from eight to 12 hours a day. And your husband, is he also involved? I'm sure he yes. is. Yes. <laughs> He's packing and shipping. <laughs> Because, you know, we, we depend on donations and the little fees that we have. 
you know, from our website when people list with us and we have microchips that we sell. We were the first ones that ever sold microchips directly to the public. And we did that for two reasons, because it was very expensive back then to microchip your horse in most places. And we did our own and we thought, why can't other people do this and save money? And so we scouted out some microchip companies and met with the authorities at one of them that flew in to meet with us. And that's how it was born. We sent the first uh, kits out on the internet directly to the public. It wasn't the microchip companies. It was us. <laughs> wow. wow. Okay. So, so let's kind of figure out the timeline here a little bit. Uh, 97 was when Dallas, uh, Idaho was stolen. You got her back in 98. You'd already started connecting with other people who had stolen horses. Um, it took over your life. Yeah. <laughs> what life? This is it. This is exactly. my life. <laughs> I know this feeling. I so know this feeling with something. Yeah. Um, but so, so you started, when did you actually start NetPosse? Is it NetPosse.com? Well, it's NetPosse.com. That was always there. Uh, see, I had to learn about domain names and all that stuff too. So when I went to get stolenhorse.com, one of our people that was a volunteer with us had already gotten it for us. But then something happened. She passed away and her husband never knew we wanted it and he never gave it to us. So we didn't get that. But we got nickname in the in the news media as Net Posse. Net on the internet, Posse going after the horses the horse thieves. So net posse stuck in the news media. So we were double branded at that time. So we just picked netposse.com because we figured nobody else would have that. And they didn't. Right. You know, it really wasn't what I'm trying to say. There was no master plan. Right. No, I get it. That's what I'm trying to <laughs> We were winging it the whole way. <laughs> like, how did it grow? Okay. So, so basically after Idaho comes home, you still connect with people and people who have lo lost or stolen horses have contacted you for support. Yes. Basically, I, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I even wrote a book, which I majored in physical education for a reason. It's because I wanted to play. Nobody <laughs> told me I'd have to really teach once I started doing that, but I enjoyed that job. Uh, but, you know, I'm not, what I'm trying to say is I didn't pay much attention in school. Uh, and so writing a book was never, ever on my list of things to do. But I finally wrote one because people kept asking me the questions over and over and over the same ones. So I thought, oh, I'll just write this book. I'll put it on our web page. People can buy it and it can help pay for the expenses that we're incurring. And we took the money that we got from our horse thief to fund the book. And we sold out 2000 copies. Have you reprinted? No, I don't have time to go back and redo it. I have written a second book, but it needs to be edited. And let, and let me reframe. I don't get paid. <laughs> so going out there and paying somebody a lot of money to edit my book, is, I just can't do it. And so it's sitting in my drawer down there. But um, could you reprint your first book if it sold out that well? Well, I could, but I... You, if come sit with me for a day. 
Yeah, well, no, look, I, I have started my own business and I run a business and I just got a warehouse with 6,000 square feet. So I totally get the time constraints and I've written three books. So I totally get what it's like to try. I've got two more sitting on my desk. But my point being, if that one, you know, there's on-demand printing now. If that one sold out so well, you just send it to an on-demand printer, which they took one of my books. Is That's how it's printed now. Um, well, it needs to be updated. Okay. Because I wrote that book, what? 2004. So there's things that are outdated. You know, I have resources in the back and I'd like to update it. And I keep saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, but I never get it done. Right. So, so, it's on my list. so let's kind of figure out where you are now. So how many case, open cases do you have right now? Oh gosh, I have no idea. Uh, I'd have to look it up. <laughs> Roughly. Uh, thousands and how many how many horses a year do you find well our, our recovery rate on first day if they get it to if they get us the alert on the first day our recovery rate was running between 35 to 51 percent and the reason it varies because it, te- it it depends on how many horses come in and how many horses go out found so it's a variance right but most people think, especially now with Facebook, think, oh, I can do this myself. And then they come to us days or weeks later when we've exhausted our, our first 24-hour contacts. So we have a huge network. We have people in our network all over the country, actually all over the world. We work with law enforcement. We work with uh, some people in the sales uh, industry. We work with some people in the slaughter industry and that's what we call our don't ask, don't tell people. Right. But when we get a first day alert based on the information that comes in with it. And if they don't give us enough, we contact them say, we need more details. The more details we get, the more we can pinpoint where our alerts go to be, you know, where they're efficient the most. But when you wait weeks to contact us, I mean, we still have had horses found off of our alerts weeks, years, even decades later. Um, All right. So let's walk through this process. Say uh, my horse is stolen. What do I do? You go to netposse.com and you register for an account and then you file a report. We do stolen horses, of course, missing horses, which is poof gone. I don't know what happened to them. Searching is generally the civil cases that we work with because law enforcement won't help you on those. But because we have the education that we have behind us, we know you need help in most of them. So we do those. We do searching for horse history. If you bought a horse and you're looking for where it came from and um, found horses. We try to cover just about everything because you never, it all incorporates. It all connects. It can all incorporate back to a stolen horse. So So I go online, I go to your website, I file a report. What happens next? You file a report. And on this website, which is website number six, it's kind of a do-it-yourself type website. And your alert, once you pay for it, and then you click okay it immediately goes to our website. But we don't send our alerts out until we actually review it and quite often edit it 
because you know we tell people you can't use names dates well you can use dates but you can't use names of people or names of you know that would incriminate people so sometimes we have to take that out right we still get around to it <laughs> but in a legal way um and once we have everything legally set up, the flyer's done, which is generated automatically with this website, and we make corrections, then we go to our Facebook page first, which has got close to 55,000 followers. And we go there first and we send out an alert. And our people come over and start sharing it. We also have a group of volunteers uh, that are assigned to go start sharing. Uh, yesterday we had an alert that had over 85,000 people reach already in two days. So, you know, they, it looks like big numbers, but when it comes right down to it, the way Facebook is these days, everybody's not seeing what you think they see. Right. So no, it's absolutely. made our job a lot harder. So yeah. we need you guys come over, like the page and share, share, share. Um, but once it's there, we also send it out in our newsletter. We also post on our Twitter account, Instagram account, LinkedIn account, sometimes Pinterest, whatever we have time for. But if it's something that I can do in the background, I sometimes talk to people, mediate cases, um, work with law enforcement attorneys. Because when it comes right down to it, other than maybe one law enforcement agency in the country, nobody knows as much as we do. And it's not that I'm bragging about that. It's just we dealt with over 6,000 cases. Because you just have the experience, you know. Yes. Law enforcement doesn't have the time to dedicate someone to stolen horses for the, ex the experience that they need. I mean, no. that's why people like you are so critical to this industry because, you know, they've got a lot of other things they're dealing with besides stolen horses. They're, you know, I mean. And yeah. we understand that. And that's one reason we're still here. So your your success rate in a 24 hour period is 31 to 51%. That's quite amazing, actually. Those are really good numbers. And that's because depending on where it is, we know who to contact. We know where the horse is, if it's in this network, will most likely go. If it's a professional versus just a random person, you got different ways of dealing with it because a random person would be afraid if all this stuff is out on the internet and they see flyers everywhere, they would be afraid that they're going to get caught most likely, but a professional just goes, <laughs> they have their ways to get around everything. You have so, to know how to catch them. How, how many professional networks roughly are there in the United States that are stealing horses? Well, think of, think of it this way. Um, Take the Olympic rings, which were are timely right now, and put a map of the United States down and then put the rings on top. Now, the way you got to think about it here in North Carolina, North Carolina is really saturated with these people. People are still in this network today that were there 24 years ago. That They, they get in, a lot of them don't get out. But the guy that took our horse, took our horse to a sale barn. Somebody gets our horse there and it gets passed around in that first ring and where they connect, that's where it changes to another part of the country. Uh, some of these um, 
people in these networks will exchange stolen horses, take them and put them in pastures and hide them for a while. Sometimes they brand them. Sometimes they change their colors. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason that you can say one thing, this is what we're going to do. But by on the circumstances, we can kind of pinpoint where this might lie closer to not. And that's how we find them real quick if they report to us real quick. It's just, it's hard to explain. It's just intuitive. Well, yeah. And, and sadly, these rings have not been able to be shut down. No, no. Mm -mm. They don't care. I mean, like I told you, the guy that had our horse admitted, uh, well, I didn't tell you, the, the auctioneer, the barn owner that had our horse first admitted to our lieutenant here when he called him, yeah, I had the horse. I knew it was stolen. And nothing happened to him. He admitted to having stolen property. He admitted it to, to giving it back to the thief. And there was, and the people in the county in which he was located, even though the livestock officer from Tennessee tried to get charges pressed on him, the county wouldn't do it. And the county wouldn't do it, I'm guessing, because of he brings in revenue. I mean, there's so much involved in this people don't think about. But, you know, we've been exposed to it so much. And we even developed, an, uh, when we started selling in microchips, we even developed our own registry all equine ID registry. And that registry is not just, hey, let's put a horse in there. Let's put its microchip. Let's put its brand. We take everything that we've learned from people, how to get them back, what works, what doesn't work. And we put it in that registry in a way that you can record, keep records on your horse so that if you're ever missing a horse, you've got your bill of sale in there. You've got your registration papers. You may have your lease agreement. Uh, of course, pictures and the normal stuff, but we also allow you to keep your vet records, your farrier records, uh, anything that you want to that tracks ownership over time. It's all in there. And, where, and nobody in the world does that. Is that a separate that. website? Excuse me? Is that a separate website? No, it's on netposse.com. Okay. Uh, under the store and it's our netposse ID registry. So, so someone's asking, uh, what are some of the key things horse owners should do or put in place to help protect their horses from theft? This being one of them. This being one of them. uh, Wow. There's a lot. But number one, education. You just got to educate yourself and you got to educate the people that live around you. Because when Idaho was picked up, my neighbor said, if we had seen somebody walk in the gate, put your horse on a trailer and drove away. We would have thought that that was supposed to happen because who steals horses? And that's still happening. So you've got to educate yourself. Then we tell you to put up a sign on your property. And we made a sign for that that's Farm Watch, you know, kind of like the community watch. Doesn't matter if everybody's watching or not, but our law enforcement advisors say if you put up a sign, you make people think that you're watching, kind of like the, you know, right. the alarm companies things. ID your horse, folks. That is so important. Number one, and this is one thing I talk about, all kinds of ID, but I'll just shorten it because it's a short program. I recommend a visible ID and a microchip. People will come right. No no ID at all is perfect in every situation. That's why we recommend one of each. 
the microchip is your VIN number. It doesn't matter if you can't see it. You know it's there. And if your horse is in a sale, if I'm in North Carolina and my horse is in a sale in, ten in Tennessee or Texas, I want a way for them to be able to go, that's her horse. And I can, and when somebody sees our brand, which is the second part, we have uh, freeze brands on all our horses. They can identify it by the brand, but the brand in most states is the worst trace back to an owner ever. And so you identify it by a brand and then you got your VIN number in the horse and you get your horse back. So are all sales required to check for microchips? No, no. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to speak about the good sales because there are good sales out there. Let's just talk about the ones in the network. Right. The network, even if they know your horse, it's your horse, most of the people are not going to help you. They will tell you they will, just like the guy said, oh, I hate a horse thief. I had all confidence that guy was going to help me. He right. didn't. And that's the way it still is. And uh, they won't tell you anything. They'll act like they are, but they're not going to help you. And they're certainly not going to scan a microchip unless somebody there sees the horse. Law enforcement can be brought in. A, a scanner can be picked up from a vet's office and the horse can be scanned. And to be honest, most of the auctions have scanners anyway. They just won't let you know that. Right. Are there areas of the country where horse stealing is more prevalent than others? Well, there's always one area, Texas, of course, and it, and it kind of evolves, you know, depending on what's going on. But Texas has always been. And the part that I live in, the area that I live in, that's always been up from about Pennsylvania down to Florida. East Coast. Yeah, East Coast. But, you know, there's different areas that will be quiet for a while. And then there we'll see a lot of thefts. And we know the, the rings are working that. And there's some states we hardly have, ever have anything happen in. So we, we learn, and we have people in every state that help us. So to kind of help people wrap their arms around this, horse stealing still happens. That's the number one thing. I mean, most people, uh, perhaps naively, don't think about professional horse thieves still existing in the United States, but they do. They do. Right. And it's, there's it's, networks. So even if, if your horse is stolen by a network, they're going to pass it around in a way that you might never, you might come so close to that horse, but it's behind a curtain. Yes. And they, they hide them in plain sight sometimes. And what I tell people looking for a horse is like looking for a needle in the haystack, but the haystack keeps moving. Right. So it's not an easy process. And I want to make sure that Pete, your, your listeners also know that we're talking about horse theft, but don't forget the civil theft where you give your horse to somebody or you have an agreement with somebody. Honestly, I think that's as big or bigger than horse theft. And horse theft is huge. Well, and, you know, I mean, I was in a situation where someone gave me a horse, but they never gave me a paper when I was really struggling and wanted to give them the horse back because I could really was struggling to afford it. They said no, but come summer, they came and picked that horse up and took it away. So uh, I learned my lesson. 
contracts, <laughs> folks. Do yep. not, I would not even let my mama have my horse without a contract. Right. And there, you know, we did have two horses that we leased, you know, my children outgrew them and we couldn't get some people to sign our contracts. And they said, you need to take that out. You need to take that out or we can't sign the contract. And I said, you don't get my horse if you can't sign my contract. Right. Your contract. And, you and that's because I know how horses disappear when they go to a training barn or they go to uh, somebody else's barn or somebody borrows your horse. I mean, you always a contract, always equine ID and always follow up on that contract annually, if not more. Right. It sounds like we could do a whole webinar on civil theft. <laughs> we could actually, that's why uh, Equus Magazine came to me several years ago and asked me to write an article about, uh, they didn't call it civil theft, but civil matters. Right. When horse theft is not a crime. And that's what the thieves have gotten really wise about. There's a gray area. And they know if they're in that gray area, law enforcement isn't going to get involved. And the horse owners that they, they usually pick out don't have the money to go through the legal system. Right. So it gets dropped, especially if it crosses state lines, because then you have jurisdiction problems. I mean, it's a mess. It's a mess. So... I understand that this has become your mission in life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we all need help to be able to keep going. So I'm going to put this question out. What do you need to keep going? Two things, money, pandemics has just about taken us out. Um, we lost our two major donors right off because they own businesses that were shut down by the pandemic. Uh, people are hurting, so money, you know, we don't have a lot of money anyway, never have. I can make a penny squeak. Matter of fact, it screams, it doesn't squeak. Uh, <laughs> but volunteers, we need people that not only can share our alerts, but can work behind the scenes and write articles, because we do have an ex educational section on our website. That's really important to us, education. I write articles, help with the reports. Uh, there's just anything anybody likes to do, graphics. I mean, everything you see us do, I've learned how to do myself. So folks, you can learn <laughs> if you don't know. If I can learn it, you can learn it. Um, but everything that any business has, we have to have and we have to pay for. Um, and that's, I think that's one of the things people don't get when they see us with so many followers on Facebook. They think we're just a Facebook page and we're not. We actually do the work. We, we actually do a lot of things behind the scene. Plus because of the tools that we're able to provide, um, that costs a lot of money up to around 30,000 a year. And we got to raise that much or we're not going to be here. We've lived off of credit cards quite a few years. <laughs> well, in my, and, but you bring up the point that, you know, if you don't find some donors and some volunteers, you will not exist. Right. 
Right. I've got some key volunteers and I've had some wonderful key volunteers over the years or I wouldn't be here. I had one lady with me for 15 years, right from the beginning. Uh, I've got two others. And when they, when they leave, there's personal reasons. We're not fighting or anything, but sometimes life just life gets changes, in the way. You know, life, life changes. changes. And I've got really great volunteers now that are helping me on the inner circle, but we, we need more inner circle help to actually run the business and, uh, and you don't monitor our Facebook live page. You live to do it. Excuse me? You don't have to live where you live to do it. That's the beauty no, of the You can be anywhere in the world. That's the beauty of our website. Do you know that in the beginning of this year, we found three horses that were gone for over a decade? Wow. And the reason being, because once we put them on our website, we don't take them down. Um, we leave them there. And so that means our website is indexed in Google. A lot of stuff on Facebook is not, and people don't get that. They think once they put it there, everybody sees it. And of course, we know how that works. But if you put in keywords in Google, guess what comes up? We do. We had a mule come home uh, after 10 years because of the web page. Uh, we had Painted Lady come home, which is still a beautiful story. Um, I got to work with the owner again and the person that had the horse. And it was so wonderful when I got that email from Kelly and she said, is this horse still active on your site? I think I have this horse. Wow. And she did. And I was able to put the two together. And in the end, Kelly got to keep the horse. Um, because now the owner's 77 years old because it had been over 10 years. Yeah. And we put out an alert one day, and within two days, we found another horse that had been missing for eight years just off of our alerts and our flyers. The flyer is really important. I cannot stress that much, that as much, because people just think, pass it, pass it, pass it. But no, print the flyer off of our webpage. It's already, it's already in a PDF format for you to download and print. Go put it somewhere because most of the horses are found off of flyers because even though we think everybody in the world's on the internet, they're not. And even less are on Facebook. And even if you're on Facebook, there's billions of places to hit on Facebook. And on any given day, even though that, that alert, I, alert I told you about has an 85,000 people reach, that doesn't mean 85,000 people see it. It just means 85,000 people can see it if, it, if they look. Right. But what about the other billions? They won't see it. So especially if you're trying to hit an area where you think the horse is lost, those flyers are very important. Very. Wow. Well, um, someone said, I think, uh, Constance, I think you're awesome for helping people find their stolen horses. Uh, thank you, Constance. Yeah. I don't feel so awesome most days. <laughs> I can tell you that. But, you know, that, and that's the thing is, um, anybody who's run a business and is self-employed and you essentially are, mm -hmm. um, knows that, it, you know, there's a lot of days that are just hard work that nobody gets to see. They get to see what we put out, but they don't see all the behind the scenes. And I, I totally understand what that's like because I do it. I have 
you know, every day's hard work here that there's not a day that's not, it's just, I start about sit five or six o'clock in the morning. And, and, and the service that you're providing for the people that have lost horses and had them recovered, you can't put a price on that. That is, that is priceless. Um, so, you know, I, I want to thank you so much for the work you're doing for the horse world at large and for everybody that's had a horse found. That's just an amazing story. And I really hope that this webinar is able to bring you some support. Well, I also want to tell the, the guys that, you know, I do speak all over the country. So if you ever need a speaker at one of your meetings or at an expo, I mean, I can talk all day about this, but if you put me in the same setting and just stood me on a stage and said, what's your name? I would probably wet my pants because <laughs> I have stage fright. But back to where we found the horse, found Idaho. I think that, you know, I was picked because I can talk about this all day when I know I can't even stand up in front of my own relatives on a stage and do anything. So there has to be something behind it. And that's why I've not been able to quit. I love what I do. Yeah. I love helping people. I love working with the victims, which I don't get to do much anymore because I'm more of the admin now running the business, which I don't like. Anybody want to do it? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that part. Uh, but I just love what I do. Nobody tells me to go to work every day. Right. And I do. It's the first thing I think about when I get up. Well, Rhonda says, thank you, Debbie. You're my hero. Ah, thank you. Thank you. I, I you know, I need that some days and our volunteers especially need it yeah. because, yeah, and our victims, they need your encouragement. Talk to them. When you see them on our, on our Facebook page, come over and talk to them and tell them what that you're there for them. I mean, that's what got me through on you know, the days that were tough and I didn't want to get out of bed sometimes. Um, somebody sending me an email and saying, I've sent your flyer today. I posted your flyer today. I'm supporting you. That means far more than you guys know. Uh, just like, you know, the, the nice things you just said, the victims need that encouragement because they're in a sunken hole. And it gets deeper and deeper and deeper emotionally for them. And your Facebook page is Net Posse? Uh, that netposse.com is our website. Our Facebook page is Stolen Horse International dash Net Posse Missing and Stolen Equines. We used to just, we didn't, we added the extra part on it because sometimes people weren't really getting the whole picture of what we do. Mm -hmm. Plus it also, you know, index is better with Google. Yep. We always think about everything. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a very eye-opening experience. And um, I certainly hope this webinar helps bring you some help and some funding. Well, I, I hope it brings education. Come over to the website, click on resources. I about, we have all kinds of information there. I see. No, I'm trying to spell it, but let's see if that works. Okay. Well, thank you everybody for joining me. Please share this webinar when you, it'll get posted up on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel and post it up on Facebook, share it around. It will be on the Murdoch Method Facebook page, but I, this is one that I have never asked my audience to support or to post for a webinar before. 
Um, but I think this one is really, really important. So uh, thank you, Wendy. Yep. Thank Thanks you so everybody much. for joining us and we'll see you tomorrow for my webinar on Surefoot at one o'clock on Friday. Have a good Bye everybody. Bye.